This should be played at high volume. Live and local. Let's go down to life out here. This is Acadiana's number one sports station. 1037 The Game. It's Saturday, and you know what that means. Finally time for the world-famous CD to step to the mic for two straight hours of no-holds-barred sports talk. It's better than Desperate Housewives. Are you ready? You better get ready. Yeah! Because Under the Dome with CD starts right now on 103.7 The Game. And welcome everyone to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Good morning, beautiful people. Hopefully you are having a good one so far. I know I am because I'm here with you. And also, we are coming to you live as always from the first South Farm, excuse me, the 1037 The Game Studios. Baby, we're looking good. Old habits do die hard, I guess, but hopefully you're having a good one. Of course, we're coming to you live from there. And also, we're coming to you live on that FM dial, the tower of power that is 1037 The Game. The tower of power, too sweet to be sour, I'm funky like a monkey, sky's the limit and space is the place. Uh-huh. And also, we appreciate you listening in, however you're doing, so if it's through there, the free mobile app, 1037thegame.com, or whatever... Smart speakers that you use to listen into this fine station on a pretty darn regular basis. And of course, we got you for two hours of nonstop sports talking. Boy, oh boy, we got a lot to get to. And we got a lot to cover. There's good news and bad news. The bad news is we're not going to get to it all right here, right now. But the good news is... Is I got the time. You're damn right we got the time, and we're here with you for two straight hours, and it's going to be a damn good show. And again, maybe I'm a little bit biased, but I think it's definitely going to be a strong show, to say the least. A lot of things to get to, and of course, we're taking you up to the 12 o'clock hour, and then around 1.30 or so, we're going to have, right here on 103.7 The Game, Westwood One's coverage of the NFL playoffs. It's a super wild card weekend. And speaking of that, one team that's not a part of this super wild card weekend is those New Orleans Saints. I think it's well past time to get down to brass tacks. And by the way, if you want to call us up a little bit later on in this program, we got time for you. 337-706-0111. One regular caller might want to jump in pretty soon to hand me the crow that I I will gladly, gladly eat about the national championship game, which we'll talk about more at the end of today's program. But without further ado, let's get down to brass tacks and talk about what's causing all this on Louisiana Saturday morning and get to the Saturday sports sermon. The famous CD is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. It's time for your Saturday Sports Sermon. I've been a lifelong fan of the New Orleans Saints. Now, not nearly as much as some of the guys here at this station who have their fan card going back to the early days. In some cases, like Jordy Holtberg, he he remembers that first game. Well, way, way, way back in the day. 
So you got those guys. For me, I think that I've felt some of that pain. I haven't been a fan nearly as long, but I understand the pain. I think this season alone, I think we felt a lot of that pain. And we felt it again this past Sunday after the Saints beat the Atlanta Falcons, which was great. But when you just look back at the season, this team had every chance to be an 11 or 12 win team before the season started. But this was a Murphy's Law season. Foot calls it a medicine season. I think there's no doubt in my mind that this was a Murphy's Law season. Everything that could go wrong did, in fact, go wrong. You had things going so well with Jameis Winston. I think he turned a lot of detractors into believers. I remember I got in a conversation with a local business owner before the draft last year. And I said, basically, that they should stick with Jameis. He's the only one that's had significant experience as a starter. I understand he had that 30-30 season, but at least give him the opportunity to show you either he's good or he's going to be dog. One of the two. He shot down that notion, and I think he had done plenty enough to get this team to the playoffs. Then came the injury. And speaking of injuries, this year they made me think they spent some time practicing at the Greenbrier before the season because they were a mash unit before kickoff with guys like Will Lutz out. Mind you, how much do we miss that cat this year? We needed him in a big way. Then there was the never-ending saga of Michael Thomas. Felt like watching Sam Malone or Diane Chambers on Cheers. Will he or won't he play this season? Lo and behold, he did not. And then you have the usual Teron Armstead and Marcus Davenport injuries that happened over the course of the season. Thank God Marcus Davenport actually was good down the stretch. Hopefully he can take some of that momentum and carry it over to 2022 because this was a big year for him. Either he was going to boom or he was going to be out the door. Good luck, God bless. This was an all or nothing. This is like a big year for this team. It was going to be interesting because we all questioned if the playoff window was closed shut because of the retirement of Drew Brees. That statement feels like Maury Povich, the lie detector, determined that was a lie. But it wasn't due to the offense. The defense was the big reason why they were able to get up to a certain level and why they were able to get things done because at the end of the day, they helped this transitional period at quarterback. If you're the Saints and you have a really solid defense, you can hide some of the ills of a quarterback like a Trevor Simeon or even a Taysom Hill who both did good, serviceable jobs and managed the games. At the end of the day, that's all you need to do when it comes right down to it. The onus wasn't on the offense to be a juggernaut like it had been in the past. Go look at those lean years from 2014 to 2017 before the Alvin Kamara before they draft him in the third round, before they wound up getting their biggest and best draft, I think, of all time. In 2017, this team had to score 30, 40 points to win a game. This defense helped keep that scoring down to where they didn't have to. Some games, they won 9-0 against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the defending Super Bowl champs, and a team that looks to try and repeat, which is going to be a Herculean task, I think, when it comes right down to it for them. And they kept their head down during that crunch time and fought hard until the final game of the season and were in contention for a playoff spot. But of course, they just couldn't get the job done. 
I don't know why they couldn't get the job done. There were a lot of great factors heading in that direction. They won. They dominated the Atlanta Falcons. They beat the Carolina Panthers. And all they had to do was wait. At one point, you had the Los Angeles Rams up big, up big against the San Francisco 49ers heading into halftime. 45-0 was the big number that I heard a while back. 45-0. Since Sean McVay's been the head coach of those Los Angeles Rams, they have won games when they're up by halftime. Lo and behold, apparently Kyle Shanahan kind of threw some of that 28-3 gree-gree over to Los Angeles. Either that or during halftime, maybe the San Francisco 49ers were watching some full house reruns because it felt like they woke up. They absolutely woke up and dominated the second half, won the overtime period because, again, Matt Stafford cannot win the big game. I think that's just more of a damning statement towards Stafford because he's been a guy that's played for middle-of-the-road Detroit Lions teams for years, so you never had that that big game feel. A couple times that team made the playoffs, yes, early on when they had Ndamukong Sue. I mean, the Saints showed them the door. I just wonder how much more is it going to take for this Rams team to try and get to a Super Bowl. They pretty much went all in, pushed all the chips in, and I said it months ago, and I feel, I feel like this is something that could happen. I'm not saying it will, but it could, and honestly, in some cases, it should. And that is, the Los Angeles Rams should be one and done. It's not my five favorite picks to click for this weekend as well. I feel like that's, that game's a little bit too difficult to predict, but I wouldn't be surprised if Monday night the Arizona Cardinals would advance past the Los Angeles Rams because the Rams just have that potential just implode upon themselves. And I wouldn't be surprised if Sean McVay is shown the door when it's all said and done from that perspective. But that's kind of where I'm at. It sucks sometimes to be a Saints fan, but whenever those moments happen, when it's damn good, when you're absolutely loving the world of pro football and you're loving the Saints, you got to love those great moments because they come along once in a blue moon, but then we get to the point where the New Orleans Saints are on the cusp of the playoffs but like many years past, when it's week 17 or in the case of now and in the future, week 18, and you have a chance to make the playoffs, you better secure your bag and have full control of your fate, of your destiny, rather than putting on the hopes of somebody like the Los Angeles Rams who made it towards the tippity top of my bleep list in 2022 and probably in perpetuity, not just for the normal no call, not just for the fact they wound up injuring Drew Brees because Aaron Donald decided to collect a pinky. Or no, it was a thumb, sorry. A thumb. For some reason, he wants to collect fingers. It's whatever. I'm not going to shame anybody. But it makes you wonder what has to happen for this Saints team to get back to the playoffs. I think what they've proven to me is they need to have solid quarterbacking. I think Jameis Winston bringing him back in 2022 is the right strategy to do. I know everybody wants Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers. Guys, with the current structure of the salary cap and 
There's 60 million over. I just don't see that happening. I'm sorry to those fans, but it feels like an uphill climb. It looks like we got somebody on the 1037 The Game Hotline. They've been waiting with Zen-like patience pretty much through my whole sermon. And let's get to it. Hello, you're on Under the Dome. All right, well, they didn't. They were waiting a little bit too long. But you can call me up right now, 706-0111, 337-706-0111. Usually with the show, I like to get into my diatribe and get down to brass tacks and talk about what's going on in what's the big topic of the day for me. If you want to call us up, 337-706-0111, 337-706-0111. But again, this, the Rams are at the top of my list of just absolutely hate. And I, I think every week I'm going to start just putting a heat index because this is exactly how I want people to understand where I lie on a lot of different things. Because when I go back, and watch a Saints game or I watch the NFL, there's teams week by week that I hate for a lot of reasons. And I think now and forever, the Los Angeles Rams, as long as their current construct is there, I am a hater in every which way. I can't hate the I, – I, I can understand some of the hate that the San Francisco 49ers get because they were a pain in our neck. Back in the day, hell, even in the early 2010s, go look back at the Saints in the postseason, Darren Sproles, that big play. But I've always been, I've mentioned this before, I am a child of the 90s, I understand the history, but at the same time, I've always been much more of a Rams hater. Because so many games over the years, Yes, we beat him for our first playoff win, but a lot of games we just got our butts handed to us, especially during those greatest show on turf years. Hell, go back to 2011 season after the Saints destroyed and completely dismantled a Indianapolis Colts team that was outmanned, outgunned in damn near every form. The Saints the next week, they played the Los Angeles bleeping Rams and lost their head. Like, stomp a mud hole, walk it dry type stuff. And that was just not a great look. If you're a Saints team that wants to be a contender, losing to an absolute pretender, because that was one of the worst Rams teams on record. So there will always be towards the top of the list in terms of teams I'm not a huge fan of. And I think it's 90% because of the fact that I just... Again, grew up a lot more around the greatest show on turf and hated the fact that we just kept getting our butts handed to us by that team more than any other. Because, again, like, you go look at the 2000s, like San Francisco 49ers, they were relatively mid around that time, the 90s and 2000s. Like, I just remember more of the Rams being a pain in my neck and just couldn't be – wasn't a huge fan of them. But we go over to the 103.7 game hotline once again. Hello, you're on Under the Dome. All right, well, looks like we got two dial tones in a row, and I feel like exact I know exactly who that may or may not be. But if you want to call us up, 337-706-0111, We'll take a quick time out. When we come back, I want to get into some college football stuff because LSU is starting to build a fence around the state of Louisiana, 
and they're bringing some boys back in town and back home in the case of guys like Noah Kane. I think that's something positive. We'll talk with Curtis Wilkerson as well in about 10 minutes about the big game between Arkansas LSU on the hardwood. We got so much to get to, so little time, so keep it locked right here on 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com. The world-famous CD may be in his 30s, but he's still a kid at heart. (laughs) Now, let's get back to a guy that has an unhealthy obsession with a number that offensive linemen wear with Under the Dome with the world-famous CD on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. If you want to call us up, 337-706-0111, Hopefully you are having a fantastic Saturday morning, almost Saturday afternoon, as we head into a super wild card weekend, which we'll have right here on 103.7 The Game, thanks to Westwood One's coverage of the NFL. That includes... Tonight's doubleheader, then a tripleheader. That means one, two, three on a Sunday. And then a rare once-in-a-lifetime type thing with the NFL going with a Monday night football wild card matchup to cap off what should be a glorious wild card weekend again. Right here on 103.7 The Game, we've got you covered with the NFL all weekend and into Monday. And if you want to call us up again, 337-706-0111. We got a call right now. Let's see who we got. Hello, you're on Under the Dome. Um, I don't remember them losing to the uh, Los Angeles Rams. They blew out the Colts. I remember them losing to the St. Louis Rams. There you go. Thank you. The St. St. Louis Rams, Los Angeles Rams, same franchise history. Appreciate the little correction there, man. But, yeah, I, I – I vividly, vividly remember that was one of the worst St. Louis Rams teams or Rams teams, period, be it the first go-round they were L.A., the second go-round, or the middle time when they were in St. Louis. That was an absolute abomination. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with you, man, with uh, the whole situation with the quarterbacks. Now, <clears throat> Loomis and the uh, guys in the room, they have showed that they know how to work the numbers, how to work the salary cap. Uh, they've been in situations uh, before that, People thought or felt that they couldn't get out of, so and they did. So uh, uh, I know. That, I think that the year I know he didn't. I know he didn't pan out well, but the year they signed Bird, a lot of people felt they couldn't do it, you know. But somehow they uh, maneuvered the uh, cap and was able to get him under. Like I said, I know Bird didn't turn out to be what most face fans wanted, you know. But um, uh, yeah, go with Winston. Use that money somewhere else where you might need some help. Um, exactly. I try to trade up. Uh, I would try to trade Armstead, move Ramchak to left tackle, see if you can get any any, any flyers out there for our Armstead um, and, and go from there, you know, because uh, he's – I'm sure a team will bite, who knows, you know, because he's a, he's a, he's a uh, all-pro talent, but he's inconsistent, you know, he's, he's too banged up. You hey, know? I mean, I wonder like, – if this is something I, I talked about yesterday, last week on the show, was wondering – if Teron Armstead doesn't kind of, you know, hang it up. Because, again, 
he's had those injuries just pop up year in and year out. And it make, it makes you start to question whether or not he can still go and maybe just maybe in the next, you know, six months or so, we could see him kind of hang it up and say, hey, I'm done. I'm going to go ahead and move on with my post-NFL career because just the injuries have become a little bit too much because it's been I – mean, how long had it been? He, he's been out like at least like the last six, seven weeks of the season, and that wound up proving to be a lot more critical, especially in that game after Christmas where half the team was out due to COVID and that offensive line was a sieve. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what a Saints going to go in this draft. It's just uh, history – has shown us anything. Uh, they, they usually get linemen, whether it be a defense or a offense. So I think uh, they might might be going back to that, going back to uh, picking offensive linemen. Uh, thank you, and uh, you have a nice one. Thank you. All right, you too, man, you too. And, th- I mean, that's the whole thing when it comes to the New Orleans Saints. And he brought up the Mickey Loomis, the Loomisnomics. That's, I've been a proud uh, proponent of that over the years, is the Loomisnomics. But I'm wondering how long until that kind of gravy train and being able to balance things winds up not being able to happen. Because somewhere along the line, something's going to slip. And that brings up a question I'm going to ask Ross more is once like Jeff Ireland is getting interviewed left and right sideways for a lot of GM positions. and There's GM vacancies across the league, the New York Giants, the Chicago Bears, the Minnesota Vikings, all those guys, they would love to have somebody like that. I think any NFL GM vacancy, they need to interview him. He's a guy that I think at the top of mind. If you lose Jeff Ireland, and I think this could be a year, a lot like what we saw with Billy Napier, where for years it felt like almost within the first two years of him becoming the head coach of the Cajuns, you started to hear his name be touted amongst a lot of guys. And it was absolutely a fun time to be a fan of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns from that perspective. Fast forward, he waited till he had that perfect opportunity to rebuild things, to do things his way, and be able to grow. I wouldn't be surprised if something similar to that happens with Jeff Ireland. Because if he's gone... This it creates something interesting because Jeff Ireland, I think we give we don't give him enough credit towards not just the Loomisnomics, but getting really good draft prospects. He's been a big integral part of that because again, he I mean you look at those years, again, the lean years of those Saints during the Drew Brees era, a lot of it was mired by, wait for it, bad draft picks. Bad free agency moves. I mean, you you signed Champ Bailey, never played it down. You brought up Burt. There's probably 10 or 12 other guys that we can talk about in terms of mid to low-level talent that you paid a little bit too much money for, and you kind of screwed yourself in that sense. But we'll save more of the Saints conversation with our guy Ross Jackson. If you want to call up and kind of reset that, far be it for me to stop. We, we got a guest coming up in the next few minutes. But I want to touch base on LSU recruiting because, honestly, they've been doing a bang-up job with the transfer portal. And I think, case in point, what they've done the last few days on the football front, they've added seven transfers, and that's going to be huge for this team. So far, they've added seven of them. 
And that's considering the fact you get guys like Arkansas's Greg Brooks Jr., Penn State running back Noah Kane. And this one probably, again, this is a whole different conversation about the transfer portal and how that's affecting the state of college football and just football in general and how it's affecting, you know, I'm, I'm not saying this in a, first off, let me just say it. It's this isn't meant to be derogatory. I'm talking about group of five versus power five in general. Don't take this the wrong way, but big brother and little brother, big brother can go ahead and get those big paychecks. You just saw Kayshawn Boutte, a kid from the Bears. He just got a big deal with Gordon McKernan. He got Gordon. He got it done. He's got that deal secure with the NIL. Mind you, I think those NIL deals are going to start popping up a little bit more, maybe like a stimulus check that we saw circa 2020. He'll, th- those players are going to be getting some nice stimmies by one Gordon McKernan because I think he's now he's starting to understand the game a little bit more and he's he's got his thoughts in the right place. I That's going to be an interesting thing because you see guys like Kyron Lacey and Makai Garner, guys from the smaller school in terms of perception but this last two years, that Cajuns team, I think, in all honesty, and I've mentioned this before, and people have decried me for this. I heard James Mesh say it the other day, basically poaching the take that I've said over the last two years, that the Louisiana Raging Cajuns could have beaten LSU. I, I just think that. I could be completely off base in certain aspects of that. But I believe, with all certainty, that the Cajuns would have beaten LSU this year. He's look at what happened when they played a team like Kansas State. Yes, they were depleted, but they absolutely got run out of the room by a team they shouldn't have been run out by. You lost to UCLA, who, yes, they had a better year than other, than most of their seasons, but still, you basically saved Chip Kelly's job, which is what you did. With that one, a lot of other teams, a lot of other games you had that should have been winners, and especially going back to 2020. I mean, they lost to Mizzou. Mizzou. Arkansas, that makes sense. Because, again, Pittman's done a damn good job. I think people don't realize how much of a good job Pittman has done leading that Arkansas program, leading the Hawks. And I, I've been saying it for the last two years. I still think they're, in the last two years – there would have been a really good shot. And I'll, I'll remain steadfast on that take. I'm gonna, I I will die on that damn hill. But when you think about it, these guys, and again, more power to them because they're taking advantage of a system that's broken. And I think everybody who's listening to me can agree with me. The transfer portal system is broken. There's some ways you can fix it, but guess what? These guys are going to take full advantage of that because guess what? They're getting money. It's all about getting yours. So I have no problem, no qualms about those guys absolutely taking advantage of that opportunity to make themselves a solid living. That's the most important thing when you're a guy in college. Yes, you're you're getting a scholarship and whatnot, but at the end of the day, they only get you so far. But if you're getting an NIL deal from Gordon McKernan versus so-and-so, it's makes a world of difference. That's why I think this, and again, the NIL thing is causing a lot more of an issue with the transfer portal. 
And it'll be interesting to see how it goes over the next couple of years. We've talked about it before on the show, how there needs to be a lot more regulation. But here's the thing. Mark Emmett and crew aren't going to do a damn thing because guess what? It's not affecting the bottom line. That's all that matters to them. And I feel like eventually they're going to try and kind of unionize this whole thing. And once they regulate it, it's going to cause a lot of bugaboos. And I guarantee you, the Power 5 programs are going to go ahead and head out and do their own thing. And, you know, we're going to see the NCAA kind of crumble beneath their feet because the big boys are going to pack up and be like the Baltimore Colts move out. Or maybe even, to a certain extent, look at the Premier League. If you remember it last year, the Super League. Basically, you'd have something like that with college football because the big boys would want to pack up and move on out of there. But we're going to take a quick timeout. When we come back, we had Curtis Wilkerson. He'll be joining the program next, talking all things Arkansas Razorbacks basketball. A lot of interesting storylines for that game. We'll talk about it next right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com. You're listening to Under the Dome. The world-famous CD is a pretty easy-going guy for the most part. Some might consider him to be the dude of Acadiana's sports station. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. There are some occasions when he does get unreasonably upset. I still don't understand why they drafted Ian Book in the fourth round. You didn't need another quarterback. You had two already. You could have wound up getting something that's going to help you out down the road offensively rather than somebody that's probably going to be more along the lines of a Garrett Grayson in the history of the Saints franchise. Let's all hope he's in a good mood this morning. Back to more Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game. Acadiana's Sports Station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Coming to you live from the 103.7 The Game studios. Appreciate you listening in. And we're going to go ahead and kind of deviate a bit from the football talk because it's kind of time to start turning the page over to the world of college hoops. I think today is more appropriate than any other day because of the fact that the Arkansas Razorbacks are taking on the LSU Fighting Tigers later on this afternoon. And it always just feels appropriate because this Arkansas team has improved a lot over the last couple of seasons. Eric Musselman at the helm and that team overnight became a huge success and potentially a juggernaut in the SEC. Interestingly enough, Muss won't be part of the game, but not for the reasons you may think about, especially in this current climate that we're in. And we're going to talk about that and more with our next guest. He's aboard the 103.7 The Game Hotline, and that is Curtis Wilkerson, part of the 24-7 Sports Network, covers basketball and recruiting for hogsports.com. Curtis, first off, how you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing fantastic. Appreciate you having me on. I appreciate you coming on and taking time out of your schedule on a Saturday morning to join the program. And first off, I'll talk about Eric Musselman. He is going to be out for this game but not for the exact reasons a lot of people might think when they think about a coach being out in 2022. Usually it's because of the C word. This time it's because of a rotator cuff. How the heck did that happen, number one? And number two, how long could he be out for? Well, (laughs) 
You know, Eric Musselman, if anybody's watched him, he is an energetic and, and animated guy on the sidelines, and that carries over to practice. And early on in the season, he, he didn't like what he was seeing. He jumped into a practice drill, a live practice drill, and uh, wound up getting taking a tumble and getting landed on by Trey Wade, which, which LSU fans will see today. This is a guy that's 6'6", 6'7", probably about 230 pounds. Uh, Eric Musselman is not that size, and so landed on his shoulder and, and tore his rotator cuff. And, you know, Muss has been coaching through it for several weeks now, but you could tell it was really starting to bother him. Uh, he was talking about how it was kind of popping and, and clicking and catching on him and uh, was having trouble sleeping on the road, things like that. He was trying to wait until the end of the season to get it taken care of, but uh, wound up going ahead and, and going under the knife and had a successful surgery. He is... Uh, obviously out today for this LSU game. He will not coach on Tuesday. Arkansas is back at home against South Carolina. And then it's kind of, a, I guess, a TBD on, on how he's feeling and how he's recovering from there. But, yeah, at least two games, the Hawks are going to be without Eric Musselman. But, I, you know, I've, it's not an ideal situation to be in. But Arkansas does have the luxury of being able to turn to a guy like Keith Smart, uh, Baton Rouge native, by the way, um, in the interim, this guy that he's coached, head coach for three NBA franchises. So uh, we'll see how it goes, but I, I think Arkansas is probably going to be in pretty good hands. I think they're going to be in pretty good hands, especially when you think about this Arkansas basketball team over the last year or so. You have that big run in the NCAA <laughs> tournament, and now this team, it's it's 11-5, and five and you're playing against an LSU team that's currently ranked 12th, and I think a win on Saturday, the win later today could very well secure a t- spot in the top 10, which the Tigers haven't seen those heights in a long, long time. But what can you say about this Razorbacks team? 11-5, and five, yes, but I think there's still some game left to be played. I think this team could get back into that conversation as a sleeper team once they get into March. Yeah, I think you're 100% right. You know, coming into the season, obviously Arkansas was on the heels of that Elite Eight run. Uh, had four guys with significant starting experience coming back, but you know Eric Musselman is a guy that really likes to to be active in that transfer portal. They had six new additions, and you just never know how long it's going to take for everybody to kind of settle under their roles and and just kind of come together as a team. Uh, it's taken longer than they expected it to over the course of the season, and you know we've seen this with Eric Musselman teams. He's he's done a lot of winning since he's been at Arkansas, but in each of his seasons they've had a stretch of about four or five games where it's just looked really uneven and disconnected, and they've struggled before really turning the corner. Uh, they, you know, they lost five out of six, and yeah, I think that's maybe the stretch that they were going through, but uh, had a really nice bounce back over, over Missouri to pick up their first SEC win in the midweek, beating by 44 points. So, um, you know, now you look at it and, and wonder if this could be the turning point for them, and uh, <laughs> I think Arkansas better hope it is because this is an LSU team that is just playing – outrageous basketball right now. It's going to be the biggest test of the season for the Razorbacks. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what they, we'll see what they're made of today in Baton Rouge for sure. And I think one of the big star players for <laughs> the Razorbacks this year has been without a doubt, JD Note, a transfer last season, a couple of years ago, I should say. And he absolutely has been on a tear averaging 18 points a game. What can you say about what he's, he's done for this team, especially when you look at his, average number of minutes he's out there grinding damn near playing 35 minutes a game and it's impressive to see how much that starting five is just out there damn near being iron man when it comes right down to it yeah it's it's crazy you know you think about a guy like jd note 
he came off the bench last year. He was the SEC Sixth Man of the Year, uh, but you know was a, a pretty potent scorer for him off the bench. You know, a season ago, and kind of ascended into a starting role. And and he's really, you know, you mentioned he's been the guy for Arkansas. He's been one of the constants. You know, there's been one of the issues with the team so far has just been inconsistency from from guys up and down the roster from game to game or, or even within games. Uh, but you know what you're going to get from J.D. Note. It's a lot of shots and, and usually a lot of points. And he's been phenomenal. He had a, a, a really good offseason, uh, put on some weight, added some strength and some explosion, uh, and really got his body uh, into the type of shape where he can go out there and play nearly 40 minutes a game. Uh, and Arkansas needs him for every one of those. He's he's probably their best creator of offense. Uh, you know, he can distribute. He leads the SEC in steals. So he's a guy that's really getting it done on both ends of the floor. And, you know, it's an Arkansas team that, as a group, doesn't shoot it very well from the perimeter. And you're playing an LSU defense today that's just so stingy when it comes to giving up points. They're going to need a guy like J.D. Note to create and have a big game to get out of there with a win. Talking right now with Curtis Wilkerson at 24-7 Sports, writer for hogsports.com, talking some uh, Arkansas Razorbacks basketball. But who else is going to have to step up later on this afternoon whenever these two teams square off? Because obviously we talked about J.D. Note. He's going to be a huge part of it. But who else is going to have to be a, a crucial part of that? And how much is the bench play? Because when you look at kind of the average minutes, things just look a lot more lopsided where guys who are on the bench it doesn't look like the, the there's not as much balance on it. I think that might be a big reason why early on in the season there were some struggles. Yeah, it's been really interesting. You know, Arkansas started out nine and zero this season before they hit that rut, and during that good stretch, they used the same starting lineup the entire time. And you know, they took a loss, uh, kind of exposed some things. They they went down and, and took one on the chain against Oklahoma. And since then, actually, they've had six games with six different starting lineups, just trying to find the right combination. Uh, you know, who's going to get them off the fast starts? Who can they bring in to provide some pop off the bench? Uh, and I, I think maybe they've kind of settled on a group now. We'll see what they do today. They, they usually surprise me every game with who they run out there. But uh, regardless of who starts, it's been interesting. You, look, you talk about the minutes distribution. It's really been the same five, six, maybe seven guys who get the bulk of the load there. Uh, you know, in terms of guys who are going to need to step up, I, I think against you know, an LSU team that's so good at turning people over, they're going to need you know to give JD Note some help handling the basketball. You know, the, against Missouri, Arkansas started Note in four power forwards, which is a really unique look. Uh, and I, I'll be interested to see if they go with that again. I think they're going to need some more ball handling. If that's the case, you think about a guy like Adebo Davis, who really came on strong last year and has been a leader for the team this year. Uh, he started most of the games. He's come off the bench the last couple and, and given him a good spark, but you might need him in there early. Uh, Chris Likes, a Miami transfer, has had a really good career, uh, kind of the point guard type who can come in and, and dribble through some of those traps and that pressure. Uh, so I, I think the backcourt's going to be really important, and then you, you look at the front court, and for Arkansas, it, it seems like for the past 20 years they've had to figure out how to guard Darius Days. I mean, this guy's just been a thorn in the side for the Razorbacks, and uh, big-time matchup problem, and, and so you look up and down the Razorback roster and, and you think about a guy like a Trey Wade uh, and all these Tony Pitt transfer, guys who kind of fit the mold of being able to match him up uh, size-wise in the paint and, and maybe be able to get out there and close out on him on the perimeter. So I think a couple guys like that are going to be really important for Arkansas as well. And, you know, looking at the way things are right now <laughs> for this Arkansas team, you know, you want to starting off SEC play really, really well outside of the loss to 
Texas A&M. You're currently 3-1, and one, a big game. How crucial is it to kind of get this win over a top-12 team in LSU to kind of move yourself up? Because you look at what, the way LSU is in the Kempom ratings. They're ranked, I think last I saw, they were ranked 6th or somewhere along those lines amongst the Kempom ratings. But moving up in the world, that that LSU game could loom large. Yeah, you know, it really could. And that's kind of the one thing about Arkansas right now. You know, you look at the schedule, especially in the non-conference, and it was pretty light, especially the home slate. They, they had some of those neutral side games uh, that were okay. But the one thing that this resume is really lacking right now is that signature win, you know, that, that people can point back to. Uh, on Selection Sunday, and, and yeah, I mean, this is this would definitely be Arkansas's best opportunity to grab one of those early in the SEC slate, and, and it's an important game, too, because you, know, you you take a look at Arkansas' schedule, it's the complete inverse, I think, of, of what LSU has going on. You know, they've been really, really battle-tested. You know, they've played Kentucky, Tennessee, Florida, Auburn, you know, have been their first games in SEC play. Arkansas has been playing these teams that have been projected – near the bottom of the league. And after this LSU game, uh, they've got a, a handful more of those before things get really wild uh, in February. Seven of Arkansas's last eight games come against teams that are currently ranked in the top 25. So they need to stack wins, and they need to add a signature win. And this is going to be a really big one. It's a, a big opportunity uh, for the Razorbacks today, no doubt. And, and you're right. You know, a, a win over LSU and Baton Rouge would really vault them up in those net rankings and Ken Palm. Uh, and, and they're kind of playing with house money, too, because you go on the road and, and lose to a team as good as LSU, and it's not necessarily going to hurt you uh, when it comes to the analytics and things like that. So we'll see uh, We'll see what kind of energy they come out with this afternoon. Exactly. And thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Enjoy the rest of your afternoon, and more importantly, enjoy the game tonight. Hey, that sounds great. Really appreciate it. All right. I appreciate Curtis Wilkerson once again for coming on the program, talking LSU Arkansas on the hardwood a big game this afternoon and hopefully you're going to enjoy that as well hope you enjoy the conversation too we're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout when we come back we got a lot more to get to we'll get to my five favorite picks to click for this weekend and if we're going to be honest you shouldn't be surprised with where I'm kind of landing on things we'll talk about that next right here on 1037 the game at 1037 thegamecom you're listening to Under the Dome with CD Under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules, and we will break them. Let's get back to the famous CD, who will break it all down for us. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com. Wrap up hour number one in style, like we always do, with my five favorite picks to click for this weekend in world of sports. And we're going to go more with some college hoops and then some NFL picks to click as well. It'll be three from college hoops, two from the NFL. I'll start off Florida straight up against South Carolina. That is a five-point favorites are the Gators. They gave LSU their money's worth. I think there's no doubt in my mind that this South Carolina team is going to take an L against Florida. 
Arkansas. I've got them covering against LSU, a seven-point spread there in the Arkansas Razorbacks are road dogs. I'll go ahead and go with those Razorbacks to cover against the Bayou Bengals. Cajuns, I got them straight up against Texas State on the road, four-and-a-half-point underdogs. I think they can get the win straight up and bounce back after a tough loss, their first one of Sun Belt Conference play. Then we look over to the NFL, a super wildcard weekend. I'll start with the first game on tap this weekend with the Cincinnati Bengals taking on the Las Vegas Raiders. It's been since 1990s, the early 90s, back when text messaging was but a dream. That was the last time Cincinnati won a playoff game. That curse finally comes to an end. That streak is over. And Cincinnati, I think they win. So I'll go with the Bengals straight up against the Las Vegas Raiders. Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, they're going to be too much, and it's going to be too sweet to see them get into the divisional round. Then we go to another AFC North team taking on the Kansas City Chiefs. Pittsburgh, I've got them covering that plus 13 is way too damn high not to try and take advantage of. So that's my five picks to click. Florida over South Carolina, Arkansas covering against LSU. Cajuns straight up against Arkansas State. Cincinnati, they're straight up against Las Vegas. And Pittsburgh covers that 13-point spread. Feels like the Grand Dam Canyon-type spread, but plus 13, give me Pittsburgh covering that. And that's about all I got for hour number one of Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com. We'll be back after this on 1037thegame and 1037thegame.com.